It's Tuesday, December 18th, 2018, and we have a new law that came into effect today about drunk driving. And wow, are people in an uproar. Welcome to the Charlotte Show. This is the show for the hungry mind that doesn't want just another newscast. This is current events like no other. From politics to lipstick, Charlotte will entertain and inform you every week on today's hottest topics. Let's get started with your host, Charlotte Millington. So here's one of the headlines from today. It says, stricter drunk driving laws taking place across Canada, and that's on CBC. So what does all of this mean, and what's got everybody with a, with a big fluff going on right now? Here's the issue. Bill C-46 has made significant changes to the criminal code impaired driving offense, and it's become noted as a controversial law. So what makes it controversial? Well, it's got one interesting new change. Police officers can now ask for a breathalyzer without suspicion of impairment. Now, up until now, in order for an officer to ask you for a breathalyzer, they had to have reasonable or probable cause. That's changed. They can just routinely now ask you for a breathalyzer and you are legally obligated to to provide that breathalyzer sample. So what does all this mean? Well, bottom line, one thing hasn't changed. It is still illegal to drink and drive. But here's the uproar. People are talking about this as a violation of a number of different issues. So one of them is a violation of their human rights, another is a violation of their charter rights, and that in some cases it violates the concept of innocent until proven guilty. So the big question is, is, is this true? Well, let's start with human rights, because that one's, that one's the first issue, and it's come up quite a few times. Now, in Canada, we have protected rights under human rights legislation. Here is what those protected rights are. Race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, age, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, marital status, family status, disability, genetic characteristics, a convic- conviction for which a pardon has been granted. Now, if you listen to the list, none of these discussed sobriety or the perceived status of inebriation. So let's just strike human rights right off the list. In order for there to be a violation of your human rights, one of those protected areas has to have been violated. So now something that that you could make a case for, and I I haven't seen this, but it's interesting. What about profiling? Because profiling is something that, that comes up with human rights. So while I said nobody is talking about profiling, um, let's just make a case for profiling. So I did a little bit of digging. In, okay, here it is. Back in 1976, a study was done in Kansas City, Missouri. So this is 1976. It's going back a really long way. The The study in Kansas City, Missouri, profiled drunk drivers in both crashes and arrests. And here is what it found. The young drinking driver was found to be overrepresented in alcohol-related fatal crashes, but was underrepresented in arrests. So really what all of this came down to was that it was just another version of boys will be boys and that typically a little drunk driving accident was almost considered a coming of age rite of passage. So this is 1976 and if any of you were around in 1976, you probably remember that drunk driving was was a little more widely accepted. In fact, it was kind of a little funny. It's not as funny now, though. So fast forward to 2018. And I guess the real question is, is does this profile still hold it? Because it's been over 40 years. Now, if you go on the MAD website, so Mothers Against Drunk Driving, turns out it's still true. 
Drivers aged 21 to 24 make up 30% of the impaired drivers on the road. 30%. That is a huge amount for what is effectively a four-year, a three-year age span. Much like the profile of 1976, it's still boys. And in fact, males are three times more likely to drive drunk. So if profiling exists, it's going to be aimed at young male drivers who are statistically more likely to ignore the consequence of this choice anyway. So is that a human rights complaint? I don't think it is. It would be really hard to make a case for that. That brings us now over to charter rights. Now, this one's a little more interesting because it's commonly believed that the people who make the laws, you know, the members of parliament and the members of the legislative assembly, don't know the laws well enough to know when their new brainchild is violating an existing law. So I'm not going to comment on that, but it's an interesting concept and and probably would be a good podcast for later, but I'm not going to talk about it now. But here is the thing with this new law. There are some lawyers who actually think that the new laws actually do violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So when I did a little digging into that, what it comes down to is that what they're saying is the new impaired driving laws could accidentally criminalize sober drivers. I kind of had to pause when I read that because I'm not sure what it means to accidentally criminalize sober drivers. And I came up with quite a few theories and it turns out not one of my theories was even on that list. So here's the the huge public outcry on this. Suddenly images of a totalitarian totalitarian state, complete with the Orwellian prophecy about eroded rights leading to Big Brother, always watching us, has dwarfed the actual issue, which is that it's still illegal to drink and drive. So here are the issues that the lawyers are putting forward. What they're saying is really three things. Number one, certain THC levels will be deemed criminal. Number two, we have increased but unnecessary police power. And as for criminalizing sober drivers, Right now, if you refuse to participate in a fully mandatory screening demand, asserting your right that you should call a lawyer, then you could end up with some hefty penalties, including a criminal record, the loss of your license, massive fines, and for you people who aren't from here, you could be deported. So what does all this mean? And and how do we encounter, how do we counter these terrible eroded rights that may actually violate our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? So let's start with issue number one, which is the THC levels. Okay, I'm going to just go on a limb here and say I can't believe that there are still people who actually believe that driving under the influence of anything is okay. And the fact that you have to be told kind of kind of appalls me. But if you have a quick look at the MAD website, so the game, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving website, what you see is there's still a prevalent myth, and it's mostly among teens, that they drive better when they've had a few puffs. Just putting that down there. So just in case you missed it because you were getting more nachos, don't drive under the influence. Don't drive under the influence of alcohol. Don't drive under the influence of our now legalized marijuana. Just don't drive under the influence of anything. So that brings us to an increased but unnecessary police power. Now, now let's be really clear. I haven't seen the 2019 budget for any Canadian police force. So, so I have no idea what's happening in, in the budgets and in the staffing. But I'm going to take a guess that this change in laws has not actually increased the staff, which would increase increase the police power anywhere. I saw something where people were talking about quotas, and I sincerely don't know a lot about police quotas. When I when I had a look for it on Google, what I saw was that some cities have done away with quotas, which leads me to think that some cities must still have quotas. But I don't know enough about quotas to, to get too far down that rabbit hole. And I truly, when I when I even look at the quotas, I don't see how many drunk drivers 
they need to pick up to fulfill a quota. What I what I did see was the parking tickets and, and speeding violations, like that kind of stuff. But drunk driving is a criminal offense. It's not a it's, it's not a little bit of a driving um, and parking badly offense. So I sincerely don't know how many drunk drivers the police need to get so they can get their toaster or whatever whatever their their monthly quota gets them. But I I have to say truly that if there is a wild sweep in my city that rounds up a hundred new impaired drivers, I'm going to sleep just fine. In fact, I'm going to sleep better because I have a 22-year-old daughter who's on the roads with these inebriated loonies who are now slurring about their eroded rights. You know, I saw an interesting Facebook comment where someone said something along the lines of, would you allow the police to come into your home without a warrant? And that's, that's really what they're looking at with this new mandatory breathalyzer. The comment fascinated me, be, fascinated me because, A, your, your house is not a mobile 1500 kilogram hulk of metal that in the hands of a drunk can kill people. And, and B, even under the worst circumstances, the last time a house killed somebody, it landed on them and a witch was killed. No charges were laid. And in fact, the owner operator of the house got ruby slippers and was hailed as a hero. So yeah, would I let the police into my house? The answer actually is yes. And, and that yes is true a lot of the time. Now, some people are probably wondering why would I give up my rights so easily? And here's the reason why. Many, many years ago, I was a student in Montreal, and I was walking home one day when I came upon an actual house-to-house search. And you should have seen the street I was on. People were absolutely everywhere. They were poking around in bushes, they were moving trees, they were looking under cars, and the police were knocking on people's doors in a house-to-house search. So, so I asked somebody what was going on, and as it turned out, a child had gone missing. If I have to explain why sometimes it's in the best interests of the community to let the police have a little extra power right here, right now, when it's urgent, this whole podcast is probably making you a little nuts. Um, in that, in the story back in Montreal, by the way, the child was found safe and sound, and and everybody lived happily ever after. But but it was terrifying for the parents for a period of time. So now coming back to the the whole concept of the podcast, what about criminalizing sober drivers? Because that's that's an interesting concept. Well, here it is. It seems to me the best thing to do if you're asked to provide a breath sample is to blow. The more time you take up fussing over your right not to live in a police state, the more time the police have to consider why there's muffled yelling coming from your trunk. I mean, you know, really. Which brings us to the last point, which is this whole violation of innocent until proven guilty, because that's a whole other issue that's coming up a lot. In our legal system, the onus is on the accuser to prove their case, and the accused is, a, is considered innocent. But that's in court, and it doesn't apply during the collection of evidence. So all these people decrying their right to maintain their innocence and their need to, and their, their innocence and they don't need to take a breath, they haven't been accused of anything. In fact, what, what's happened is they've had the same law applied to them that every single other person in Canada has, has had applied to them. There aren't more police with more time on their hands waiting to start pulling everyone over who fits the profile. But if you drive through a roadside check or if you drive erratically and the nice officer asks you for a breath sample, they're literally just doing their job. Eroded rights is an interesting concept. At what point do we as Canadians ask for tougher laws? And at what point do we push back and decry our outrage at living in a police state? According to MAD, crashes involving alcohol and or drugs is a leading criminal cause of death in Canada. That means that up to four Canadians each day are killed by impaired drivers. So while you're feeling badly about your eroded rights, consider this. MAD compassionately serves a victim every 13 minutes. 
My advice, be a responsible driver. When you drink and drive, you don't just flirt with your own death, you flirt with other people's deaths as well. Does this law need to go further? Yes, I think it still does. Does it go too far? No, it doesn't yet. In fact, many countries have even stricter drunk driving laws, including zero tolerance in the Czech Republic and Hungary. And in fact, in El Salvador, if you contribute to the death of somebody else as a result of your inebriation, you can actually have the death penalty. I'm not going to comment if these laws are right or wrong in truth, because I'm not a legislator, but I will say this. We aren't there yet. And every life lost to someone who is behind the wheel after a few drinks is one too many. That's it for today. And I sure hope you enjoyed listening. If you liked what I had to say, be sure to hit the subscribe button or the like button or whatever it takes to follow me on the podcasting app you're using. If you're curious about what else is going on in my life, visit me at charmillington.com. And just before you go, I have to say a huge thank you to the good people at Anchor.fm where I host this podcast. And I also really have to do a huge shout out to the artists at Purple Planet Music who did the cool music that I'm using. So be sure to listen again next time. And in the meantime, have a totally amazing and blessed week.